Hello and welcome back to Startups, People and Equity. This is a space where we discuss topics, well, related to Startups, People and Equity. We hope that you will enjoy listening to today's episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. Let's dive straight in. We're talking with Tish, who has led talent departments in the public and private sector, and most recently at Empedo, but currently is working as the Director of People at the People Collective. So in the previous episode, we covered everything from talent learnings from like the public and private sector, and also touched on how similar the people department is to an entire company, but unfortunately doesn't have as high of a regard in some conversations. We paused right before diving into the people depth conversation, and that's where we want to pick it up. Zish, would you be able to give a summary of what are the most common forms of people debt that you saw with clients? I guess the most common, most obvious is when a company scales, you start, when, when you have a startup, you've got a team of um, specialists or individual contributors. And then as you start to scale, either they're going, help me, I'm at capacity and you're asking me to do 10x what I'm already doing. And they're like, yeah, we, we get that. Hire three people. And you're like, okay. Nobody's even asked me the question of, A, do I want to leave the hiring? But I'm the only person here. I'm looking around. If it's not me, then nobody else. You end up hiring those people. And then by proxy, you become a people manager. You don't have the capability yet. You don't necessarily even have the motivation. That's your first amount of people debt, right? You have entrusted somebody who's good, who's smart, is a great individual contributor to onboard these people. Retention starts with onboarding, right? So if somebody's never done it before, they just make it up as they go along, hopefully with good intentions, that's your starting point for people there, right? Those three people that they've onboarded have maybe not been onboarded as effectively as they could have been to understand who, what, where, and when people, things, processes, et cetera, all of those things are. You know, they don't have their logins on their first day. Everything's a shit show, whatever. So you're like, mm, this company's a bit of a mess. Then you've got the person who's now by proxy become a people manager. They don't have the capability. They're like, oh, shit, if not me, then, I, then you know. And so then they're just like, oh, okay, I'll do this. Actually, all I wanted to do was kind of build things. And then it scales from there, right? So that's the, the, the most common one. It's normal. But again, this is normal. You're a startup. You've got your... MVP or you, you've addressed your USP and your total addressable market. Now you've got some investment and now you want to scale. Take a second to plan who, what, where and when. And that's where we can kind of come in. We don't often do a lot of that strategic kind of like you want to scale. But the, a lot of the questions that we we have in our kind of initial discussions or sales discussions are really trying to get the diagnosis. Where are you? What are you doing? What are you intending to do? Why? Classic one is, hey, we are X years old or we're X size. We want to double our headcount in the next year. And you're like, great, exciting. How did you get to that number? Like what? How did you get to that number? What number? We want to double in headcount. That's great, exciting. Hockey stick growth type stuff. Well, our revenue is X and we need to 2X our revenue and our team is Y. So we 2x the y, 
to two x revenue it's like that's not how you scale right that's not efficient who's gonna hire these people who's gonna onboard sure. them you know so we want to buy the end of the year and so you you talk them through it right okay these 40 people turn up on your first day you hire them all efficiently they turn up where who's going to onboard them what about the tools what about the logins what about the licenses what about the ceremonies all of the things that you do how is that going? that's all people get and the companies that make it up as they go along do it with good intentions for sure but everything that you don't cater for for them is people debt and i was speaking to somebody i'm not a massive geek i promise but i was speaking to somebody in the pub on saturday night and uh, they were an engineer and we knew similar people and they were working in devops anyway spoke about tech debt people debt and he, he messaged me earlier this week because it really resonates because actually tech debt is a thing right it's almost an innate thing but people debt actually makes more sense and resonates because you actually owe it to people whether they know it or you know it or not it's an actual debt right and i was like oh that's a nice way we'll add that to our marketing cheers chris <laughs> uh, but again it's just the humanity element to it as well like you're shortchanging yourself and your people by not doing that service so when we were in in-house, we made it up as we got, went along. But, you know, we we made a lot of mistakes as well. But when we looked around, how do we do this? Who can help us with it? There was very few options available, if any, actually. Uh, and that's why the People Collective started. Matt spoke to me and said, are you interested? I said, yeah, but not yet. I'm very happy on Fido. A year down. And it's insane when you think about it. Investors, wherever they come from, here's 25 million. Good luck what <laughs> what good luck crack on don't worry if you fail we'll put another 25 million into another company why would you not go look here's the common things that happen with a startup here's a company or here's some processes like most of those investors just go you have access to our portfolio and our network it's one conversation with one person and it's a good luck building up relationships with portfolio companies so that they can kind of learn from each other and we can support company by company basis. You mentioned IC to people management transition. Mm. Of course, this is actually an entire process. You can break it down into an entire module, but how can a company help in a couple of sentences? First of all, ask the person whether they're curious in doing it. Traditional organizations, in order for you to progress, you had to become a people manager. Glass ceiling, actually, if you wanted a pay rise and a promotion, well, the two kind of went hand in hand, you had to become a people manager. What we, and again, it is not uh, novel for us, but as you find commonplace in startups, is actually valuing the individual contributor. So at a certain point in your career, you have a split option. You can either become a people manager or you can continue to become a specialist a subject matter expert in that particular thing now let's lay it on the table both will be remunerated equally right but the priorities of what you will be doing one will be uh, working more on building things and you know being hands-on in that respect to a certain extent and one will be more around people focusing efficiencies and scaling teams etc cetera, etc cetera. do you have a curiosity or a preference and then you show them and that's the role of a leader to be like, here's 
X and here's Y, here's the pros, here's the cons, here's the challenge. And it's about having that conversation with somebody. Somebody might already know, I want to be a people manager, I want to be a deep expert, or I'm not sure, in which case, great, here's what it looks like. And so you're either through education or opportunity or exposure or a combination of all of those things, and then, then you're having a development conversation with somebody. Right. So we are all individual contributors when we start our careers. That transition, first of all, ask, are you interested in it? If not, why not? If so, why so? And then from there, you can go step by step because that step by step is going to be different for everybody. You know, you can do a simple gap analysis. They want to get there. How do we do it? And that's where you get into L&D building development plans. But it just starts with being human and asking the question, not making assumptions of people and then supporting them with whatever decision they make. Now that is, to a certain extent, our progression framework. You build something that shows what the roles are and then what's expected at each of those roles. And then you show it to the team and then you use that as a map and a compass to go, right, where do you wanna go? We call employee-led, manager-guided, company-supported. If the employee or the team member wants to go a particular way, but you don't have that route available to them as a business of that company at all or yet then you need to show them hey we don't have that role here because here's where we're at as a company oh actually i can understand that we might in a year's time but in the interim what can you do what can i do to support you so you're still growing and developing so the options are not necessarily just ic or pm but to circle it back how should a company help there actually start with a plan and just go, we want to double in headcount. Fine, that's okay. That's legit. Who are going to be our people leaders? Is there somebody internally that wants to step up? If so, great, let's support them. If not, then we recruit somebody in who's got that experience. Great, but at least you start with the why and you start with what do we have? So then you can succession effectively. Because if you don't have that conversation and you bring a people manager in and that person goes, hey, I wanted to do that. Well, why didn't you say? Well, why didn't you ask? I didn't know we were scaling. People aren't mind readers, right? It's your job as a leader to communicate what's happening. But also it's your job as an employee to ask the question as well. <laughs> I wanted to come back quickly to two things you mentioned before we move on towards the end. I wanted to take a different perspective because for now we've been talking about it from a company's uh, perspective, but also <laughs> I want to take a couple of minutes to talk about it from the employee and, and the applicant perspective. But before we do that, just quickly saying that we have had a client with the People Collective that offered, I think it was a three or six month kind of trial to ICs who wanted to move into people management. Because like you said, it's sometimes things that an IC doesn't really have a clear idea on. So I thought that was maybe interesting to share. What we recommend to some of our clients that we do a manager development program. People that are curious and interested about being a manager, put them on the training, again, the education part. Some of them, not for me, thank you though, at least now I know, but at least you're kind of preparing them for it. And on feedback, if you think you hire a new person, they've got probation period. There should be something similar with internal moves, you know, and the probation period is both ways, right? For not just is the person performing the role, but also do I want to carry on doing this? So that's what you've kind of pointed out, that internal role probation period whether it's three months or six months again and and just using that as a uh, opportunity to reflect and 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 go oh, is this still the right direction of travel i, I like that that's a, a rational 
logical approach, right? Yeah. And then the other thing I think is worth talking about for a minute is equal pay package or total comp for people mm -hmm. managers and ITs. I hear some clients saying that we struggle to attract people managers also on the stereotypical department is engineering and therefore we want to pay more for people managers than we do for ICs. Mm -hmm. But I think this then comes back to compromise the motivation that people have to go onto those tracks. So maybe instead of a higher compensation package, you want to think about other types of benefits like training, like showing what it really is to motivate people to choose that track. What do you think about that? You just don't make the assumption of what people want. Unless the data tells you people are rejecting these roles specifically because we are not paying enough, use the data to help you validate your hypothesis. When, when you look at people's motivations, of course, compensation and reward is a big part of it as well, but also the opportunity for growth, working with other smart and skilled people, a company with very little bureaucracy or opportunities for influence. All of these are a magnitude of, of reasons and no two people are going to be the same because people are at different stages of their careers and have different motivations. Understand that. So speak to engineering managers. Hey, why are you not applying for our role? Because I've never heard of you. How, why would I apply for you if I don't know you exist? Oh, we've upped our salaries 5%. Yeah, we didn't even know who you are. <laughs> like, how do you expect me to apply? Or actually, I went through your recruitment process. You were slow. You didn't reply to the messages. And I had five other offers on the table. I really wanted to work for you. But actually, the fact that you were ineffective or you gave wishy-washy feedback, your process was unstructured, means I walked away. Before we come on to the rapid fire questions, I wanted to quickly ask you about the applicant perspective. Is there mm -hmm. anything that you could recommend for people listening to this, thinking about moving uh, to the startup space? What should they watch out for? What is a good methodology to select the companies that they're interested in and any other piece of advice? Oh, I guess first thing would be to, to look at how they talk about who they are and what problem that particular role is trying to solve. So it's on a macro and a micro level. So actually, first thing I look at is the company, what product it is or what service it provides. Does it fit into my wheelhouse if it fits there? Um, and then the, the, the role itself, is there an opportunity? Like, can I solve that problem? Do I want to solve that problem, that company? And then the company itself and the company is the culture, the size, the stage, the, the people that already work there to look at those things and then look at how they talk about all of those things, the product, the role and the company as a whole. Now, a lot of startups are pretty good at this, but try to look through the, the fluff and the, the rhetoric that lots of companies talk about, like when they talk about how our culture is great, you know, we're very inclusive and, you know, that's great, but tell me about your decision-making. Hey, look how many diverse people we've got, but let's look at your exec team. Like you don't have any of this diversity when it comes to the decision-making table. So it's actually performative. It's nice to have representation, of course, but if the key decisions are made by two founders who come from, one demographic you know is that the kind of space i want to live in and work or should i come in there and actually 
be a catalyst for that change? Do I want to do? So again, each person is different. My advice to any applicant who's looking at that startup space would be to, to be curious, to ask questions, to challenge, and remember an interview process is two way, right? It's particularly in tech, everyone is looking for talent, right? It's it's cyclical, so it will change at some point. Tech's a huge bubble, it has been for a while. If you are good, you can pick and choose where you work. And so if a company is asking you to do a seven-stage beauty parade, if they're that inefficient about their recruitment process, does it not speak to their inefficiencies internally about other stuff? So if their communication process throughout the recruitment process is poor or untimely, if you feel like you're one of a number, if you're chasing them up constantly, if they are disingenuous or tell you one thing and then do something else if you're having the same conversation four times with five different people and it seems like you're they're not talking to each other that's a flag for you to say actually maybe this is not the right company for me so remember not only are they assessing you but importantly you're assessing them so be clear about what you're looking for from a company and, and have a structure and a process to that i love that i think it's very very useful I especially resonate highly with the two-way nature of the interview process. I think that's really important to emphasize. There was a thought when you were saying that it's a two-way process and that it basically highlights the current process flaws and so on. It does highlight the current status, but I don't think there's a perfect company out there. So I think there's a bit of a knowing yourself and saying, aha, uh -huh, this is something that I recognize, but... I can live with it because I think I can help them with it or something like that. Rather yeah, than exactly. just everything. Yeah. yeah, I mean, what is a perfect company? If everything's working, then actually, do you want to go and work there? Because what I just say, if, if, if everything's perfect and so hunky-dory, why do you need me? Like, essentially, what people leave, all of us are problem solvers to more or less an extent. If, you're not, if somebody's articulated, here's a problem that we need help with, hey, I can solve that problem, or actually I can kind of solve a lot of that problem. Some of that's going to be novel. Here's a growth area. And I want to solve it in that space with those people. You know, nothing's going to be perfect. Actually, that's the counter of what attracts people. Here's a problem that I can solve. I will enjoy solving it, and I'll have the tools and the space to solve it, what's also learning and have the, you know, all of that stuff as well. So being clear about, that's where it starts with the why. What's broken that needs fixing? What skills do you have that you can show that you can help fix that either through past experience, through present capability and showcasing or for future actually abstract understanding to say, actually, here's how I would solve that. And this is what a lot of companies don't do well. They always look at past experience. When have you done that? I need somebody with 25 years of working in a tech startup. <laughs> what? I need somebody with 10 years of working with this absolutely new technology you look at past experience as an indicator of future performance right as an indicator not the indicator but also a lot of companies do this a, a presentation task whether it's an engineering task or a presentation or a, a task of sorts so you're saying actually here, tell me about how you did it but then also show me how you do do it and then actually an element of future how would you do that now if you do a balance of all of those three then you get a big bit better a rounded picture of somebody's not just capability but also their potential so you can make an informed decision so if you as a employee are saying hey they're not just asking me how i've done it i can show them and also talk about it 
how I would solve it, I'm able to give a fair representation of how I think. If you're doing that as an employer, you're able to hire for people that have potential as well, not just the people that are highly sought after. And guess what? You're potentially going to be more inclusive uh, as well of diverse profiles and characteristics at the same time. It's not revolutionary. It's a no-brainer when you explain it. But that's our job. If something's obvious to us, we need to explain it so well so people know and understand it so it starts to become a bit more obvious to them. What I in particularly like about your philosophy around all of these topics is that you never take a victim mindset. You always feel like you can do something to change it and, and that I really highly resonate with. And I think it's a very valuable way of looking at the world. Appreciate that. Awesome. Let's move on to the rapid fires and then wrap up. Okay. Question one, would you work for an early growth or late stage startup? What so it has to be right now, right? In my career, I would do a growth simply because I think that's where it speaks to both parts of uh, my preference where there's enough kind of fluidity, but also you want to introduce some process and structure uh, as well. If you're just early stage and you just want to stay there, then actually maybe that's too chaotic for me. I would call it the beautiful chaos. The late stage startup, you're kind of you know the biggest schemes it's not set in stone but you're kind of doing more change management to a certain extent you're trying to unpick some of the knots that have already been tied and you're already trying to repay some of that people's debt whereas you know that growth space you've probably got a healthy amount of people debt and you can kind of innovate awesome remote hybrid or on-site me hybrid let me pick and choose out comes not outputs presenteeism doesn't matter uh, i like working with people uh, but also i get more stuff done when i work from home and also i can work out wake up a little bit later my sleep is better i could just have a better morning routine and yeah so hybrid i guess is the answer to that okay next one next offsite i will take my team to sailing with spiely <laughs> Off oh, the Croatian coast or somewhere <laughs> with turquoise water. Either that or island, uh, Dublin with Chloe. And then the last one, next big thing in startups is? Compassion. Awesome. I think that this was a really insightful, very thought-provoking conversation. Several times we were, we were on mute with Spela, but we were bursting out of laughter. At some point, I even saw a little tear in Spela's eyes. <laughs> so... That's just to say that, uh, that it was an amazing pleasure to have you, Zishan, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Rapid-fire questions, but definitely not rapid-fire answers to those last questions. But yeah, really enjoyed it, and thank you for having me. Appreciate it a lot.